does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I guess you could go Taylor Swift, November 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, 2024. You know, my... Lucas Stadium with that. Or you could go... You know my copyrighted line, don't you, Kevin? That's a uh, Jonathan Taylor reference, right, Mark? Your first chance to see a Taylor at Lucas Oil Stadium in November next year, right? Boom. Yeah, a couple tie-ins right there. Um... Michael Pittman yesterday met the media. First time Pittman has chatted since uh, report day, so that would have been last Tuesday. For the most part, and I would say honestly, probably every answer Pittman has given related to his contract situation, which for those unfamiliar, it's the same exact timeline as Taylor. They both were taken in the second round in 2020, so they both have four-year deals, uh, both going into that final year of their contract. Um, Pittman has been... Very much in taking whatever the high road, you know, I'm I'm not worried about it. I'll get paid when I get paid, those sorts of answers. Um, yesterday, I found it a little bit more relevant to ask him kind of a similar question again, because obviously the Taylor situation has played out majorly over the last nine days since we last spoke. Uh, Mark, will you queue up? This is Michael Pittman. The first question on if he expects to play without a contract extension this year and then the follow-up on if he would like one? I mean, do I expect it? I mean, like, I don't really expect nothing, really. I mean, I mean, if it happens, it happens. So, and if it doesn't happen, then, yeah, like, I would play it out without an extension. It's certainly the right thing to say at this point, right? And then the follow-up on, on if he would like one. I mean, like, I think, I mean, like, I think every player, like, wants to get paid. Like, I wouldn't mind one. <laughs> Michael Pittman with a little crack of a smile there after the final comment. Um, I think he was a little confused by, I, I actually asked him that that first question. I didn't necessarily, maybe I should have worded the question better. I didn't ask it with the thought of, like, would he hold out? <laughs> you know, I, I No, I mean, there's no way Michael Pittman would hold out. Um, but, Jake, I tweeted out those quotes. I was a little surprised by the magnitude in which those quotes blew up and basically the common tone was, that's how you handle it. Jonathan Taylor isn't handling it anywhere near that. I've completely changed my tune and let me tell you where I was wrong regarding Jonathan Taylor. I reserve the right to change my tune back again because these things are fluid. However, in the beginning, I remember saying, I'm like, look, in the end, I'll bet Jonathan Taylor, they end up coming with some agreement and he ends up playing and having a decent statistical year and we'll look back and be like, oh yeah, we forgot about that. That That's what I said, like probably a week ago, Kevin. Um, I, I, I think we're past that. And I think the interesting thing is, as we talked about yesterday a little bit, on the Taylor side, the interesting thing dilemma for the Colts you have an owner that has adamantly stated that he will absolutely not be traded and you have a general manager who now at this point it's in his best interest to trade Jonathan Taylor and then you have a receiver that is saying all the right things but becomes a weird ingredient in all of it because if all of a sudden now he gets an extension that literally dumps a thousand gallons of gas onto the fire for Jonathan Taylor, right? Well, you know, Michael Pittman says those things, and why does he say them, Jake? Because he's got the security, and Jonathan Taylor doesn't. Correct. Michael Pittman will get paid whether it's here, whether it's in Jacksonville, whether it's in L.A. Where if they have a franchise in London, Michael Pittman is going to get paid, and even if they just slap the franchise tag on Pittman. You know the difference in franchise tag money from my, from wide receiver to running back? Yeah, I mean... The franchise tag next year for a wideout... Or excuse me, let's start running back. For a running back, it's projected at $13 million. So that's... A, yeah, obviously that's a pretty nice payday. $13 million, which is an uptick from, I think it's ten point nine this season. The franchise tag for a wide receiver, $22.9 million. 
I mean, Pittman's got to know number one. Yeah, I'd that's say the thing. ten. Michael Pittman just with the franchise tag, which players hate. The franchise tag, Michael Pittman would earn ten million more than Jonathan Taylor if both of them. Obviously, they both can't get the franchise tag, but if both of them got it next year. The, they just have totally different job security. Yeah. They're in two different just atmospheres on how the NFL views their respective positions. Because, Jake, it's not like you can argue. I mean, Jonathan Taylor has easily been the better player through the first three years of their respective careers. If you were basing this strictly off of paying what they've done, you would obviously pay Taylor much more handsomely than you would Pittman. But given the positions they play... Of course Michael Pittman is going to take the higher road. Of course he's going to feel better about this. Taylor's the one that, again, I think understandably feels a bit slighted based off the past precedent of this franchise. I, I think Taylor should feel slighted based on the position he plays. I mean, just in general, the position, right? I mean, receiver is a more prioritized position, and in particular, anybody should know that when, I mean, when you are running with a brand new quarterback you've got to know that the receiver is the most important position period right another thing i was thinking about with taylor yesterday jake was this two years ago jonathan taylor had the greatest running back season in the 70 year history of the colts jake you know this better than anyone colts have had some pretty good running backs yeah in the history of their franchise what four hall of famers and Edrin and Falk and Dickerson and going back to Lenny Moore. Yeah. So you're talking about a franchise with four Hall of Famers at the running back position. And in a day when running backs are devalued, Jonathan Taylor had the best season just two years ago, the best season in the 70 year history of your franchise. He's 24 years old. He's never torn his ACL. He's never torn his Achilles. Last year, he missed six games. It was the first time. He's missed games in 10 years of playing football. I think Chris Boward would admit this, and I know the last week paints a different picture of this, but he works and he checks everything that you want off the field, and now we're here. Like, to me, I I, I bring all of that up just to say how stunning it is, and I can imagine how stunning it is for Taylor in that, like, wow, now we've gotten here to where... Obviously, he's extremely unhappy. The Colts have offered no indication that they want him to be here for the future. Uh, boy, it, it is um, its just crazy. It's absolutely crazy to me. When you think, and again, so much of this is rooted in the position he plays. There's probably a little bit of a health element to it. But, you know, again, Taylor can point to guys that obviously they've paid coming off injuries. Uh, it's just shocking to me. Uh, it is, I mean... What do I always say? We, we, we think we know guys. I don't think Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor's a bad guy, but I think I could see his frustration. I understand both sides of it. The, the guy that in all of the in the whole thing, Kevin, the guy that is literally, I think, stuck between a rock and a hard place is Chris Ballard. Because don't you think Chris Ballard, when he hears Ursay like, there's no way we're going to trade this guy, don't you think Ballard's thinking to himself like, hey, Calm down, though. I, I, you yeah, know what I mean. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't make calls and feel right. Didn't think Chris Ballard's like, can I just have a normal season, just one time, yeah. just one? Please? Which again, some of it his own doing, to be fair. But correct, the owner interjecting as much as he has probably isn't helping the situation. I did find the Reggie Wayne comments in regards to Michael Pittman earlier in the week with us pretty enlightening. You know, I, I asked Reggie the question of like, okay, what trait of a wide out in your current wide receiver room would you want in your own game and obviously Reggie's a Hall of Famer so it's not like he needed much but when he talked specifically about Pittman he just gushed about the work ethic of Pittman and how he's wired and Jake you have interviewed umpteenth coaches in your career you don't typically hear coaches offer like a heap of public praise for work ethic because I feel like that's one where, like, if it gets to that guy's head, then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I am a good worker. Right. Yeah. yeah right. You know, coach. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, I got and, them and like, fooled, right? For, for Reggie to say that, I think resonates, at least for me, because I think Reggie worked like, like no other as well. Um, and as I've said for the past week or so in relation to Pittman, I would be doing everything I can if I'm the Colts to extend him, to get him under contract moving forward because you've got to make sure that at least there is something in that cupboard. And I know people are going to be irate when they see the contract that Michael Pittman gets based off the production 
he's had in the last three years. I'd argue it's been pretty awful quarterback play he's had to deal with. But you just, again, you cannot skimp. You cannot take shortcuts with Anthony Richardson. And if you're going to let Taylor walk, you can't let Pittman walk too. By the way, in college, you mentioned those running backs that have played for the Colts. Number of carries in college before they got to the NFL. Marshall Falk, 766 carries in college. Eric Dickerson, 790 carries in college. Edron James, 497 carries in college. Oh, Taylor's got to be close to, what, 900? Jonathan Taylor, 926. Yeah. In in three years, right? And you wonder, yeah, you wonder if that doesn't also weigh into their thought process of when does the breakdown begin? Because it happens to all of them. It happened with the Colts with Eric Dickerson before their very eyes. It did not with, obviously, uh, Marshall Falk. And Edron James, uh, that was more probably a salary deal. Yeah, I've always... I, I know we got to get to Rake, but I've always been torn on the on the debate with Taylor of could he be different than the other running backs? Uh, understood. You know, he he is a guy that is so in tune with his body. There Again, are exceptions he, he, to every rule, Kevin, but life typically is based sure. upon living by the rule and not the exception. Yeah, that's totally fair, and obviously, I think that's where the Colts are coming from with this situation. All right, Greg Rakeshaw is going to join us next. As I said, to kind of lead off the show, uh, could it be Rake that gets our next? answer in regards to Jonathan Taylor. We'll explain more coming up with him on the other side. Kevin Aquari here. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Friday. All right, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline. You hear him pretty much every Friday with us at this time. He's Greg Rakestraw, and this time next week, he'll be packing his bags to head to Buffalo for the preseason opener. Rake, I wanted to begin with this. I was mentioning throughout the first hour of the show I think you might hold the cards to our next Jonathan Taylor answer. Uh, I feel like it's an annual tradition for the owner to slide into the broadcast booth with you and Rick Venturi at some point during the preseason slate of games. You guys are doing next Saturday and then the Saturday after just the first two preseason games. So that would be, again, at Buffalo next Saturday and then home to Chicago the Saturday after that. Uh, do you think there's a little truth to my thought here of the next time we hear from an Ursay Ballard, maybe even a Taylor, and get an answer on things? It could be with you? That is a distinct possibility. We have not had those discussions yet, but typically Jim joins us for the uh, for if, if it's you know two preseason home games, the first one, since it's just one, I would imagine there will be a second or third quarter visit from Mr. Ursay uh, coming up on August the 19th, but uh, that has not been officially confirmed to me just yet. Greg, I was just saying a few minutes ago, and I know that it's like a circular conversation because we're probably saying the same things over and over, and I apologize to people, but it is a burning topic for sure. Um, I think I was wrong. I I think in the beginning I thought, you know what, I've seen a lot of these kinds of like pre-camp you know rumblings of holdout or malcontented player and yeah these these things always work themselves out uh this one i think has potential to linger for a while and i think chris ballard's in a tough spot because i think he if you're chris ballard and your owner is talking about how there's no way jonathan taylor's going to be traded that's the guy signing your paycheck, but at the same time, the guy signing your paycheck wants you to do the best job available or the best job possible at building a football team, and that might be right now to move away from a guy that claims that he just doesn't want to be here. I, I think Ballard's in a tough spot. Your thoughts? I would agree with that. I still think, I'm not sure everybody you know, at some point in time comes together, holds hands, and sings Kumbaya, but I still think that the best way for Jonathan Taylor to get paid whether it's by this team or by somebody else, is to come back to playing. Um, and again, he was never going to get a rep, I, I don't think, in a preseason game. Um, but by September the 10th. Um, and, and so it, it, it may not be the same Jonathan Taylor. 
uh, who has always answered every question with a smile on his face, has always been the, the power of positivity. That has seemingly been replaced uh, you know, by, by a scowl, and, and I saw it yesterday. You know, he, was, he, was, he was on the sidelines. He was at every running back drill. He was there, um, but he looked like he would rather be anywhere else than, than, than where he is you know, at this present time. I still think that he'll be playing sooner rather than later for this football team, even if now long-term there is a desire to play for another football team because of how this has played out. You know what's interesting, though, Greg? And it's probably power of suggestion. Would I have even noticed this if stories had not come out? I don't know. And I had not. When it comes to Jonathan Taylor and watching him walk around, I wasn't paying attention to his body fluidity a year ago, so maybe this has always been the case. But when he's walking around on the field, he does to me look like a guy that is favoring something in his lower back. And and that makes me wonder if he doesn't need to be out there just to get some flexibility about him and work through that. There's something to that. Um, there, there's a couple of things, and, and you know, you, you touched on it, and, and I felt the same way when I was on the midday show Wednesday. You know, I almost feel apologetic about it that because this is clearly the dominant topic, and, and part of what we do in this business is okay. How do we find new ways? You know, new ways to talk about the same thing. Right. If this is going to be something we talk about for say like six or seven consecutive shows, as you guys have now kind of been in that position, you know, since training camp started, since kind of the middle of last week is. Things started to kind of blow up, you know, on this conversation. And almost in the process of kind of talking through things, you kind of check boxes or you make comparisons. And one of the things that struck me was knowing that it was Brayton Smith and Shaq Leonard, because those guys got extensions going into their fourth year, which is because they were second-round picks like Jonathan Taylor, which was their last year on their rookie deal. And clearly, obviously, JT hasn't had that same luxury. So to me, this now comes down to one of two things. One, the Colts are legitimately concerned about injuries with him, uh, that they didn't have those same concerns with Shaq Leonard. Obviously, those things didn't as soon as that extension happened. Um, and they didn't have that same concern about Brandon Smith. So either, you know, it could be both these things are true, but either it is. There's legitimate injury concern, and that's why the Colts have pumped the brakes on on having those contract extensions. Or two, the Colts are now taking the positions at which they are paying people a little bit more seriously. It has always been, we're going to pay our best players. Don't Don't care if it's a running back, don't care if it's a left guard, don't care if it's a linebacker. Positions where guys aren't getting as much bank as, 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 as others do in the National Football League. So to me, it now comes down to one of those two things. And so, Jake, I bring that up because you're talking about, hey, just kind of watching him walk, he, he, he looks a little bit different. Well, that might be issue number one as to why the Colts have been reluctant to engage in those contract negotiations. Again, Greg Rakestraw is with us. You're going to see him coming up the next couple of Saturdays starting a week from tomorrow. That would be afternoon game in Buffalo, a night game uh, here at Lucas Oil Stadium with Chicago as he's going to be your TV voice per usual here in the preseason for the Colts. Um, Rake, are you starting to make anything of the continued starting reps for Anthony Richardson in practice or are you still in kind of wait-and-see mode? I still kind of wait and see mode. You know, obviously, you know, you and I were out there yesterday, and, and Shane, when he asked me, we said, hey, it's because he missed Monday. We wanted to give him back-to-back days. So now let's see what Saturday looks like. You know, let's let's see what Sunday looks like. And, and I have been steadfast in that Anthony Richardson will have every opportunity to win this job. Um, and, and, and it's his to lose in terms of he has to play his way out or basically demonstrate that he's not ready to play. Because again, everything is long term. Everything is 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 kind of you know player development mode. I think largely this year, give the kid the chance to learn if you think he's able to compete for the job. So I think obviously time will tell if he's getting one reps tomorrow. If he's getting the one reps on Sunday. Now I think we got something. Rick, better chance to start Week One for the Colts, Anthony Richardson or Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> 
sadly at this point I'd say Anthony Richardson. Um, I can't believe we're having this conversation, but it's fair. Well, I mean, one's on the field right now, so that gives him a slight advantage, right? I mean, I, I, I think I think you can. It's, it's fair to say that. Um, no, I, I'd say Anthony Richardson. Okay, so here's a, how about this: better chance to be the starter to be starting in Week Six, Gardner Minshew or Jonathan Taylor? Um, I still say Anthony Richardson. No, no, Again, no, I, I think, no, 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 I, I no, 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 Greg. More likely to be the to be starting a game in Week Six, Gardner Minshew oh, or Jonathan Taylor. I would hope Jonathan Taylor, but I guess as a pretty quarterback, I still think it's going to be again Richardson will get every opportunity to play unless he he, he simply proves he can at this point. So I understand your question. Um, so of those two, Jonathan Taylor. Rake, when you look at the O-line right now, we're six practices in of 13, so we're about halfway through. The starting unit, the same group that ended last season, has taken every single starting rep. That's over 100 together here through the first six practices. Nobody has subbed in or out due to injury, due to performance, due to battle. You look at that as great for continuity, or do you look at that as bad for competition? I look at it as great for continuity. I mean, it's it's fair to go, okay, is there somebody that could replace someone if needed um but you know we've had those problems you know in terms of you know nobody can you know because 2020 was so different we'll kind of block it from our memory but but seemingly there has been some sort of offensive line injury we have talked about you know in in training camp for at least the last couple of years if not going beyond that so in terms of offensive line i will always lean on continuity um, it, is, it has been, hey, these are our five guys. Let's let them play together. Let's let them see what, what happens. And, and one of the things that's been talked about from the last time that Chris Ballard spoke, you know, back in the open day of camp last Tuesday, is that, yes, you know, the overall product wasn't great from the offensive line, but it was better in the second half of the season. Well, these were the guys that made it better. And so now let's see the, the, the continued reps together uh, if, if if that will show some signs of improvement, because Lord knows that it has to. Greg Rakestra is our guest. He is on the Payless Lickers hotline, of course. Greg, um, aside from the Colts, real quick, only because of your encyclopedic mind of sports, 39 years ago today, what happened? August, what is today, 3rd or 4th? 4th. August 4th, 1984. Ooh. Did Pete Rose rejoin the Cincinnati Reds? That's a good guess. No. First training camp practice of the Indianapolis Colts? Excellent guess. No. Uh, hey, how, it, how about was, this? Was it the, hang on. Was it the last day of the Olympics in Los Angeles? I don't know if, if it was the last day or not. But someone who six weeks prior to that was probably relatively unknown catapulted into becoming the most famous person in America. Mary Lou Retton won the gold in the in gymnastics competition? That is correct. Mary Lou Retton got the gold medal uh, 39 years ago today, which to me seems like six weeks ago. That, that was, <laughs> it was it's Probably huge. because of that Olympic Sports Festival commercial you shared on Twitter yesterday. What's that? It's probably because of that National Sports Festival commercial you shared on Twitter yesterday. The National Sports Festival, I think a lot of people forget this, Greg. That was in 1982, and that commercial, which I, we should have Mark play it, because anybody living in this town that was alive at that time, that commercial ran like it, more often than the Hank FM promo runs on our station. Like it literally, <laughs> that commercial was every 35 seconds in Indianapolis with the swimming coach yelling, you got it. And then the jingle about the national sports festival. And there's actually still a building facade on market where you can still see the faded paint of the national sports festival promo. Uh, that was basically the AAU national championships for all the different sports for amateur athletes in 1982 and greg it was a huge deal and the precursor to the olympic games in 87 or excuse me the pan am games in 87 coming here and literally it it was massive charles barkley played in it kenny barlow was playing in it in basketball carl lewis was here for track and field every sport it was awesome it was absolutely awesome but um just a different time, different era, I guess. But I think people forget that that was the footprint towards the professional sports that we now have in Indy. 
As someone that does a lot of sporting events on what is still the IUPUI campus will be the IU Indianapolis campus uh, coming up at this time next year, believe me, that that is printed into my mind as someone that calls games from Carroll Stadium and has called games from the IUPUI gymnasium and has a line of sight to the IU auditorium on a regular basis. I, I Even though I wasn't here at that time, that, you know, that that knowledge has been seared into my brain for many, many years. Tickets are now on sale for the National Sports Festival. Tickets are now available for each of the 33 sports and 150 different events. Get your tickets now at Market Square Arena and the usual ticket outlet, the National Sports Festival. I guarantee you people in the car are like, oh my gosh. It was almost like a PTSD of hearing that because it played every 30 seconds from like 1981 to 1982. But it was cool. It was fun. And there's there's a little nightmare fuel in that in the way she said you got it on that audio. Oh, I mean, it, it was like demonic, yeah. Um, Greg, let's go back to, because to parlay that into modern day, we had touched on this briefly with you, but I wanted to get a little bit further into this. The the U.S. Tennis Center also was a big part of Indianapolis' sports footprint back then. It is on the IUPUI, as you'd mentioned now, IU Indianapolis or Purdue Indianapolis campus. Um, I drove past recently after we talked to you. I was like, gosh, where exactly was that? And it's it's now essentially just a, a parking lot and slash field just to the east, I guess, of the natatorium, a little bit south. That Am I correct in saying that is the area that if IUPUI were or, or IU Indy, I guess, were to build a new on-site arena, it would be there. But does this change from IUPUI to the two different schools now impact or affect in any way the way that they will proceed with athletic venues? No. Again, the only change is that is, is the moniker. Uh, and the vast majority of students already there uh, will get an, an IU, an Indiana University degree. I mean, there's never been an IUPUI degree to get an IU or Purdue degree. There are some majors that do have overlap. Um, it, it's an oversimplification to say this, but really, you know, you're not going to be recruiting engineering majors uh, to play a sport at, at what will be IU Indianapolis anymore. Um, as of the last kind of uh, on the athletic advisory board at IUPUI of the last meeting that we had in April, I think the number of students they hadn't figured out, or student athletes, they hadn't figured out exactly what the degree path is going to be that at the end of next year, I think would be three uh, at this point. Um, and so, no, and and uh, the funding mechanism for a new building um, would be, is, is basically already been done by the legislature. Uh, it, there's basically simply a wait to have kind of another you know, client that would be using that building on a regular basis. It'd be about a 5,000-seat arena-slash-convocation center uh, that IUPUI or IU Indianapolis basketball uh, would be using and playing on campus. Uh, and so even though this has been talked about for the last seemingly 25 to 30 years, this is as close as it has ever been. Uh, I, I, since since Kevin is still in training camp mode, this would be they're working on on uh, on first and goal or working on red zone. They can see the end zone right in front of them. But in terms of of location of it, Jake, I think I can only respond like the swimming coach from that awful promo <laughs> and say you got it. That's now, exactly the location will they be. be the Indiana University Indianapolis Jaguars? They're going to be the IU Indy Jaguars. Yes. I don't think there is a I don't think there is a nickname change that would kind of replicate uh, what was the IUPUI Metros going to the IUPUI Jaguars as they made the jump to Division One back in '98. Rake high school football two weeks from tonight. It is there's there are a lot of, a lot of schools will have like you know a, a scrimmage or a you know a, a soap and towel game whatever the case may be uh, for fans to come watch tonight. Then you'll you know kind of scrimmage other teams next Friday night. And then you are playing football for real, for real, two weeks from now. You know anything about Anthony Richardson's little brother and his athletic prowess? I, I ask that because I see him at camp every day with a Shamrock t-shirt on. I assume that, or not every day, but it certainly wears it. Um, I assume that means he's Westfield bat. I think he's going to be a freshman. I could be wrong on that. But for a moment there, I thought, boy, if he went to Zionsville, 
his sophomore year, he'd be thrown to Eugene Hilton, right, as a senior. Absolutely. Now, I, I have not heard anything about it, but if he's got, you know, half of his brother's athletic traits, he'd be a really good high school football player. Uh, but uh, but if, if he's rocking a shamrock, I think it's safe to say he's playing for Jake Gilbert at some point in time. Uh, favorite for Mr. Football, Cathedral QB, Danny O'Neill. I think I think it goes down to the Cathedral quarterback. It goes to the Center Grove quarterback. There's other there's other great players that are in this class. But when you have a chance either to be a quarterback that leads a team to a uh, you know fourth straight state championship, or you have been a now three year starting quarterback and you're a nationally talked about recruit the way Danny O'Neill is, it would take a lot to kind of knock out of those two guys off of that pedestal. Greg Rakestraw with us here. Payless Liquors Hotline. Rake, your agenda this weekend before it's a little NFL-centric coming up the next few weekends? I get a, a my last Friday night off. And again, I, I love my job, so I'm not complaining about this. But it is my last Friday night off until probably the one before Christmas. Now, I don't have a game next Friday night, but I'm in travel mode getting to Buffalo, so I'm not sure I can consider that one a Friday night off. So get to get to relax a little bit this weekend, Indy 11 soccer tomorrow night, and then back to training camp on Sunday afternoon. I love it. Good for you, Rake. Uh, looking forward to seeing you out there on Sunday afternoon and next week as well before off to Buffalo. Thanks, Rake. You got it. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. All right, our next guest from the Indianapolis Star in the last two weeks, um, Chris Ballard has mentioned to him, oh, it looks like you've been working out. And then earlier this week, he went on the Dan Patrick show. So I would assume this is going to rank very low on the list of accomplishments for Nate Atkins here in the last week. Nate, it's been a hell of a run for you here as of late. Congrats. Yeah, I guess you could say that. I I just thought that uh, we'd be easing into camp and just obsessing over Anthony Richardson. And instead, it's been a weird mix of drama and uh, attention that I don't know if I love. But uh <laughs> Here we are. I thought I thought you were speechless there for for a second. I uh, appreciate the time here on this Friday morning, and it's an off day for the Colts. Uh, Nate, I threw this question at Greg Rakestraw an hour ago. I'll toss it your way as well. Better chance to start Week One for the Colts: Anthony Richardson or Jonathan Taylor? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, this point, I'm going to go with Anthony Richardson. Uh, you know, I honestly, I, I really believe he's going to start week one. And the only thing that's going to throw that off is if an injury gets in the way, either obviously if he's injured that week, or I even think if he, if he were to miss like, you know, five practices in camp or something like that, where it just sets him back and it, it just doesn't feel like it's time to rush it. But you, you've been out there and you see the progression that they're taking right now, where three straight days, he's been the first one out there taking the first team reps. Uh, the, the last two days, it just has ramped up even more from that. And that just has always felt like the timeline they wanted to live on when, you know, when they drafted him and Shane Sykin said, you know, he thinks you learn by playing. That's what he went through with Jalen hurts. Uh, Jim Mercer has made it pretty clear that he thinks he should play early on and go through those growing pains. And it just seems like that's, especially with the way that they've built this team where, you know, it's not a year that they're really trying to like go for it. I wouldn't say, you know, they, they're not, uh, they're not doing the things they did last year where they went out and signed Stephon Gilmore. They lose a cornerback like Isaiah Rogers, senior, in, in he's a starting outside corner, and they haven't gone out and replaced him. It's very much an evaluative year for them. So if that's going to be your mindset, you should be evaluating that quarterback that you drafted number four overall and evaluating how you know he fits as a leader and how guys fit around him and what their ceilings are. And, and I think the only reason that you would hold back from that is if you just felt like, Putting him out there week one is going to set him back, either in confidence or health or something like that. It doesn't seem like confidence is a worry for them. 
So to me, it just comes down to if he's healthy. Uh, and obviously, I think they're going to manage all the steps from now to then to try and ensure that he is. And so, you know, I still would say Jonathan Taylor's probably going to play week one, too. But that situation is just so kind of weird and hard to entirely get to the bottom of that that I'd rather uh, side with Anthony at this point. So that leads to the way I asked it earlier. Who do you believe would be more likely to be a starter for the Colts in week five? Gardner Minshew or Jonathan Taylor? Uh, still going to go Jonathan Taylor there because I think Anthony's going to take the job and, and run with it. And I think at some point, Jonathan Taylor is going to come back into the fold. Again, I still think that will likely happen week one. But, you know, at least by week five, you know, even if they go, even if this were to go to the level where they did put him on that non football injury list, which they, you know, they leaked out there through ESPN and Fox 59 which I don't think sounds likely at this point. But even if they went that route, you know, that, that list keeps you out for four games. And then you have to come back by the sixth game to count that year as a contract year, or it, it just kind of wastes this year and makes next year a contract year. So I don't, I don't see it going to that point, but uh, so, so I'll go with that. Yeah, Nate Atkins is with us alongside Joel A. Erickson. They do a tremendous job with the star in covering the Colts. Nate, putting the Taylor like contract drama aside, you know, you obviously have mentioned here in the last couple of minutes, you know, you you think that he will play week one. I, I'm curious, like, when is the date that he just needs to start practicing to be ready for week one? Like, I mean, we're now talking about a guy that missed the final three games of last season. It is now August fourth. I mean, it's approaching, I, I would think, I probably have to double check my map, but we're like approaching ten months. Since he has last done, maybe nine months, that he has last done football-type activities in a practice and or game setting. I mean, you know, coming up on Sunday, what are you, a little bit over a month away from the start of the regular season? When in the month of August is it like a very important date to you for Jonathan Taylor simply to be practicing for a guy that I think at many moments last season, he had some internal conflict with himself on if he should play in a game? Yeah, that's kind of that conflict has kind of carried throughout this entire uh, off season, and obviously into training camp, it, it just will not go away. Ever since he hurt that high ankle sprain or had the first high ankle sprain in week four against the Titans, it's been it's kind of back and forth, and the two sides have kind of lost trust in each other, and at least the the agreement that they had on where he's at. So you would think that if you know the plan for both of them at some point is you know this is just the situation he's got to find a way to make it work you'd think that you know, you'd think that two weeks before uh the first day first game would be kind of a reasonable timeline i do think at some point this is going to have to come to a head because clearly they don't they don't fully agree on where he's at uh with the ankle or where he's at just in his health status with, with the, some of the stuff they're going back and forth on with with the back issue and i do know that they put Jonathan Taylor on the, the physically able to perform list specifically with the ankle and the ankle related to last season. It's not a new ankle injury to them. It's the one he suffered last season and then got surgery on at the end of January. And that surgery he got is an arthroscopic surgery that has a recovery timetable of two to four weeks. They one EJ speed had, and he came back late in the spring and there's more going on with Jonathan's ankle from what I can gather. It's not it's just not quite as simple as that. But at some point when you're six months out of that surgery and there's not been a new there's no new football injury from any of the team settings they've had, um, there is that, you know, the questions about the back and whether that was something from the non football level. But, you know, at some point you know, it, it, it it's just gonna be hard for them to for, for either side to suggest that he can just stay out for, for this long to where you get to the end of August and now you're seven months out of a surgery that was supposed to have a two to four week recovery timetable. Obviously the contract's looming out there and they have to they have to get that part figured out and whether this just becomes a, a true holdout. But I, I do think that at some point he's just gonna come back out there and it'll be probably a little bit awkward, but but that's just gonna be the reality. Nate, I want to focus on this because we've talked so much about you know, kind of the doom and gloom of the Taylor situation or just the drama of all of it, um, that maybe it's unfair that we have bypassed this topic. Tell me a player or players that you have been surprised going into the camp that you may you, 
there wasn't a lot of talk about or you didn't anticipate and you thought to yourself, you know what, this is a player that Shane Steichen or Chris Ballard or position coach, whatever it might be, has now repeatedly talked up or complimented the way that they have been making plays in camp that I did not anticipate going into it. And kudos to that guy. That player would be who? I think Daryl Baker Jr. is probably the player that comes to mind first. He's a cornerback, undrafted player. Just uh, believe he's in his second season now. He's a guy that you go, you take this back to like the start of the offseason program. I didn't even think he would factor in at all this year. You know, they draft three other cornerbacks this year. They've got Isaiah Rogers, and then obviously they don't have him anymore. And it felt like they're, you know, it's, it felt like they're playing guys out there like Daryl Baker right now. He's getting some first team reps. You know, because that's just the situation they're in. But he's he's just consistently making plays. He had an interception yesterday where he sort of sort of baited Anthony Richardson and, and cut off, jumped a route that's uh, that was to Alec Pierce. And he's he's just made plays like that kind of consistently. And it, it very least seems like he's going to factor himself uh, into the rotation there. So I'd go with him on the defensive side of the ball, and then the offensive side of the ball, I'd go with Evan Hull, who's their sixth round pick, running back out of Northwestern who is kind of similar situation. The, the, the issues and injuries around him at his position have put him in this spot, but also he has looked the part. And you have a mix of kind of the skills that they're coveting right now with Zach Moss out as third down ability, uh, pass protection. He's a little bit better at that than, than you would have expected for a six-round pick. And he just seems, you know, he just seems to really be picking it up well. He, he gave a scouting report of Jonathan Taylor just from film study. That's that's one of the best I've ever heard the other day. It shows you how much he's just kind of learning and absorbing and taking it that way. And so you mix that guy into an offense that Shane Steichen has that's set up to build success for the running backs so long as they can execute assignments and, and show a little bit of burst and wiggle. And I can see him being you know more than I thought he was going to be heading into this year, which I thought he was initially just going to battle with Deion Jackson to make the roster. Now he, he kind of seems like a roster lock, and who knows? He could be a guy at this point who, who has a chance to start week one. Again, Nate Atkins is with us here from the Indianapolis Stars. An off day for the Colts. Night practice coming up tomorrow and afternoon practice on Sunday. Nate, obviously we're about to get into preseason schedule for the Colts here each of the next two Saturdays, starting a week from Saturday, and then that final preseason game in Philly on a Thursday night. Just my hunch, I I just feel like they're going to play Anthony Richardson a good amount in the preseason, even if they view him as the week one starter. You got any early gauge to how much we'll see Richardson in preseason games? Yeah, I think that's a fair estimation because what they're looking at right now is that obviously they're trying to get him ready. They're trying to get him acclimated to everything and, and throw some other challenges at him. They're also trying, though, to build chemistry with the receivers. And you think about that's kind of one thing that has sort of lagged in this process is those receivers were out for a lot of the spring. You know, Michael Pittman Jr. really didn't do much. Josh Downs had an injury. Alec Pierce missed a little bit of time. And then, of course, Anthony missed the practice the other day. Uh, I think Michael Pittman was a little slow to start this camp. So those are the things that are jumping out in camp right now as we see the flashes from Anthony and in moments for these receivers. But they don't look like they're on the, the type of chemistry page to, to really take this to a consistent level. So that's why I think those reps in preseason joint practices are going to do for them. There's a balance to it as far as exposing Anthony to the risk, which is why I think they're going to probably – design it more to work on the, that drop-back passing, the stuff that uh, that gets the ball out of his hands and, and really just kind of works on some of that. But, again, it's the same thing. They keep talking about how he's got to learn through experience, learn through playing. That's a you know, Preseason's a great time to do that because it's sort of like there. it is experimental and it is you know a little controlled in that way. So I think he's going to play a good amount in those games. Uh, the, the one wrinkle, though, would be like, if the, the joy of practice is leading up to that. If just depending on the pace and intensity of those, does that play into how much they play them in the game? Uh, I think there's a possibility for that. But, you know, in, in that sense, though, that it's almost like the joy of practice takes the place of the preseason game. So either way, I think he's going to get a lot of work. Nate, aside from the obvious, which the first obvious would be the time of practice in which they are doing it, uh, going back to a year ago to now, tell me how Shane Steichen's camp structure, pacing, intensity, etc. 
um, is different than what we've seen before? The practice has definitely seemed quicker. And it's interesting, though, because last year I remember we were talking at this time about how fast-paced those practices were. That was Matt Ryan at that time and just the number of plays and the volume of work he wanted to roll through. This one's a little different where it feels like they're not they're not quite like – you know, they're not rushing through quite as many plays. It's the same pace, but it's not quite as long. And it's, um, I, it feels like a little bit more of like a, an installation learning process to it where they're, they're not overloading the volume of plays they're going to go study. They're doing it so that they can, uh, they can really zero in on the ones that they have. And, you know, they said the other day that they're halfway through their install period. It felt like last year they just tried to move a lot quicker, partly because Matt Ryan was in the building at the start of, you know, the preseason or the start of the, the offseason program, whereas obviously Anthony had to get drafted and there was a process there. So this one very much feels more like uh, they, they, you know, they, they move these quick practices, these short practices, and then a lot of learning uh, kind of behind the scenes and then each day rolling something new out. So uh, I don't know if it's changed a ton from last year in terms of the pace, but it does feel like there's a little – last year they almost felt like they had to – they had to get into like the advanced levels of the passing game really quickly because they were also a team that really at that time thought that, that they were going to have a chance to compete for something important. Obviously that didn't work out, but the attitude last year was very much like we're on the doorstep here. Let's, let's try and advance this as fast as possible. This year is much more like let's try and install things at the proper pace and not rush them because this whole year is going to be about evaluating and learning and growing and, we have 17 games to do that on top of uh, the work we're doing right now. Okay, it's Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Star. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Nate, at the start of camp, Chris Ballard pointed to tight end and cornerback as the two position battles that really stood out to him. You brought up Daryl Baker Jr. earlier. Until guys like Darius Rush, the fifth-round pick, who did return to practice yesterday, and then Juju Brents, the second-round pick, until they start practicing at all and or consistently, I think it's hard to say that you know there's much of a cornerback competition. Maybe I, I would change my mind here in a couple of weeks, but right now I think it's pretty settled for those top two and three spots. Tight end, though, I, I view that as wide open. How are you looking at those two position battles through the first week of camp? Yeah, I think tight end is wide open because they just they just keep loading up on bodies and the the players that they have it's just such a similar it's just an interesting mix of younger players who don't have a lot of experience but have a different variation of skills so you have like battles within the within the group you know you've got like guys who are more of that move uh f tight end mold um guys like obviously Kylan Granson and and I think uh Will Mallory is going to kind of fit more into that and then you've got you know the blocking types which is you know, Mo Cox and Farrell Brown and and then there's uh you know there's a guy like Drew Ogletree to me it's sort of like a hybrid between those two things and it, it gets to the point where at some point they have to decide how many tight ends they want to keep and within that you know who fits those different roles and I, I've been curious to see I'm pretty sure Drew Ogletree is going to make this team he's looking good coming back from uh the injury and in He's a guy that I know Chris Ballard just absolutely loves. And so they have to decide kind of does, is he further far enough along as a blocker to where maybe you don't feel the need to keep as many of those types. Uh, that'll, that's what I'll be curious to see. Uh, Kyle Granson, I think, is going to have to battle with uh, kind of to keep his role, to keep his spot on this team. Will Mallory coming slow off the injury has helped him in that way, but there's still time to go. And the only one that I think is a true lock to not only make it, but – uh, but to really have a huge or pretty sizable role is Jelani Woods, uh, just based on the fact that he's, he's the highest investment they have for a young player. And yeah, I just think he really fits uh, what you know, the athleticism he has. If, if this year's about bringing the upside out, out of Anthony Richardson, why not play the tight end prospect who may be the most athletic at his position in history as well? So that, that's a position that's been very interesting to watch. And I think corner – like you said, it just has to play out a little bit more. I'll be interested to see once Darius Rush gets back, how close is he to doing the, some of the things that Daryl Baker is doing right now. Juju Brents, it's been unfortunate that he hasn't gotten out there at all yet because that was the one guy that at that position I would have just penciled in and said, you know, he's going to start from week one. I thought he was the only rookie who was a lock to start week one just based on the situation of the position he was in. So I still kind of think that's true if he can bounce back and, and – 
you know, get out there and, and stay healthy. But it's that other outside cornerback spot opposite him that's going to be interesting between Dallas Flowers, Daryl Baker Jr., Darius Rush. Those are probably the three that are going to battle it out. And I give the edge to Dallas Flowers still because I think that uh, they've just been high on him for a while here. Chris Ballard brought up how Stephon Gilmore was impressed by him last year. And they, they, they have ways to track the athleticism from the kick return abilities that he has and just the confidence he plays with. Uh, seems like something you can be willing to put out there. Um, but, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if someone else can can kind of rise up there too. You know, Darius Rush is one guy that, Nate, would you agree with us? He's one whose name I seem to hear the most in terms of the OTAs of them being really optimistic about what he can do this year. Yeah, they liked him back in, in rookie minicamp for sure. He's an interesting player because he's, like a lot of guys who draft lately, he hasn't played the position that long. He got to South Carolina as a wide receiver that made the transition to corner, and he's played a decent amount there, but you could kind of tell he's just still a, a very athletic player scratching the surface and was thrown in, you know, playing in the SEC. You know, and South Carolina's you know, got a, a good amount of talent, but certainly was up against it when he'd go against, you know, teams like Georgia, uh, you know, in Alabama and Tennessee and, and things like that. So he was a guy that they knew like needed reps, just kind of a lot of the guys they drafted in this class were these super athletic players who were kind of scratching the surface and they wanted to just give them a ton of playing time and see where they go with it. That's where the injuries have been unfortunate for him as he kind of needs these reps and these com- competitive moments uh, to be out there right now, but they're, they're still high on what he can do. And that's, you know, they, they really wanted to start a youth movement with that position, why they drafted three of them, why even though Isaiah Rogers Sr., when he you know, went out for the year, they didn't really make any kind of corresponding move to that. They want to they play these young corners, knowing, which tells you everything about how close they think they are this year because that's not normally a recipe to go out there and you know, win a division title. But the focus is in the process of, of, how, of this year playing out if they could find a starter like a Darius Rush that they found in the fifth round at a premium position, that's the kind of building block they want to look forward to. And they, you know, you don't know until he's out there, but they, they believe in his potential for sure. Nate, enjoy a little bit of a hopefully quieter day off. Granted, that hasn't really been the case for the last 10 days or so here of Colts camp, but hopefully it is uh, for you and for everyone out there. And we will see you tomorrow night at Grand Park. Absolutely. Looking forward to a little bit of relaxation and hopefully a normal practice where we're watching football and not a bus tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, last Saturday night it was a bus. Hopefully not the same. Unless Jerome Bettis, I thought I saw his kid visit Notre Dame on a recruiting visit. Uh, it's neither here nor there. Nate, thank you for the time. Yeah, thanks for having me.